a few questions. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. So how's everything going, mate? Um, if you wouldn't mind kind of, uh, like most people know who you are, but if you wouldn't mind just kind of introducing yourself and just giving us a bit more insight into, into MindPub, just for some context, obviously I tuned, I was one of the, uh, the early MindPub heads, right? Part of the, yeah. uh, I think I'm officially, I think I'm part of MindPub Mafia. I think I made my way, my way in there early, right? I, you, 100% you are. I mean, you were officially an OG. I mean, shoot. I mean, you even interviewed me. It was over over two years ago, the last time we linked up, I think, right? Was it the last yeah, time yeah, I was Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, just over two years ago. So, yeah, man, you are, uh, you are definitely an OG for sure. Uh, Adam Schaefer is my full name. I, my, I was an IFBB pro men's physique. Uh, well before that, though, I was a personal trainer. I've got uh, two decades of personal training. Uh, partnered up with three other brilliant men and, and built uh, Mind Pump Media, which is a media company centered around health and fitness and helping others where we produce tons of free content. And the way we monetize is through MAPS Fitness Products, which is our brand, is uh, programs that we sell, digital. Uh, and that is what built the company originally. Uh, once it scaled to a certain volume, we then would moved into advertising where we do things for partners and other big brands. Uh, and then since then, we've moved into investing and real estate and a bunch of other stuff that we're, we dabble in now and uh, just having a blast, man, trying to get good at uh, podcasting and staying staying entertaining and, and, and providing value to our audience and having a good time while we're doing it. And then now trying to blend that with being a father. So I'm now a father of a two-year-old and trying to find that work-life balance uh, while I do all this stuff. So it's, uh, it's been a wild ride and it's been a blast and, and absolutely love what we're doing. Love what I do today, seven years later, as much as I did on the very first day when we, uh, when we rolled this thing out. Yeah. Awesome, man. And on that note, Dad, Talk to us about like some of the hacks. I think you can relate this to fitness anyway, right? As you guys always talk about with the, the mindset and stuff required discipline, consistency and all the rest of it. Just give us a bit more of an insight into some of the pushback you've had, right? Because you're the lead, let's, you know, let's be honest here, right? You're the lead in health and fitness podcast in the world now, right? On the planet. So to get to that level, obviously you've had some pushback like we've talked about before. You've had some struggles and obstacles. What would you say have been your biggest kind of challenges along the way over the past seven years, Ed? Oh, man. There's so many, right? Uh, one of the things that is always challenging and still to this day we have to remind ourselves is as fitness professionals, we have a tendency to want to scratch our own itch and go down the rabbit hole of information and content that we find uh, entertaining or interesting. And the thing when we first started this podcast, we always told ourselves the idea was to create a conversation uh, around the topics and information that we were having with the everyday, the everyday person or client that we trained for two decades and to stay in that wheelhouse as tempting as it is to move out of it. Um, you know, we know from our experience, you know, this as a, as a trainer and a coach that you communicate uh, a lot of the same things over hundreds uh, of times, in just a hundred different ways. And uh, even though we're tempted to move in different directions, is to stay really focused on that because the general population, that's the type of guidance and help that they need. And it's also the opportunity that we saw in this space was a lot of the really smart fitness professionals that are out there that are providing content, they have a tendency to start really baseline or foundational, and then they go really deep in the weeds and get into biohacking and you know dissecting studies and getting into really heavy stuff for the average consumer, for the average person who just is 
they want to lose 30 pounds or get a little stronger, build a little bit of muscle, uh, look a little better, feel a little healthier. Those are the, those are the real you know goals that we were helping people with in the personal training space for so many years. And fitness professionals tend to answer that and then they move on and they go really deep. And so uh, one of the biggest challenges was not allowing ourselves to do that is to stay focused on the topics that are really helping the masses and then find different ways to communicate that so it, it, it reaches everybody that we possibly can. So uh, that's one. Uh, it's also been challenging. We've got four visionaries, four founders. Uh, each, each one of these guys individually could have went off and built their own big successful business. And so navigating through that, uh, early on, it was fun and easy as the company started to really build and scale. Uh, and we never did early at the beginning there was no titles. There was no CFO, CMO, CEO, it was just four people with a vision that, uh, we wanted to help as many people as we possibly can. We were going to do that through the medium of podcasting and YouTube and social media, and as it grew, it became more and more important for us to really decide who does what uh, in the business. And so that was a major hurdle for us. And, and there were some growing pains uh, during that time of figuring out who will take care of what in the business. So, but I mean, every day it's something new, brother. I mean, I, it's, uh, there's always challenges and that's what makes it fun. If it was easy, it would be no fun to do. Yeah, 100%. And yeah, just wanted to backpedal a little bit, Ad, as well. I wanted to just you to give us more of a, just more of a look into like your upbringing, right? So your upbringing, you know, uh, your journey as well. Like obviously your upbringing and stuff, if you don't mind just talking a bit more about that, about your background and stuff like that. Because I know your upbringing was, uh, you know, you, you, you come up quite poor and stuff like that, right? But you, you also then went on your own journey with fitness, right? With the transformation of your own in terms of, Going from like you, you, you switched almost switched careers a bit for uh, not so much switched careers, but you jumped ship and done another business and came away from like the fitness industry for a little bit. And then I remember you saying, obviously, that's when you were in the worst shape you've been. And then from there, you obviously went to challenging yourself to get to the IFBB pro level, right? As a as a men's physique competitor. So I wouldn't mind if you wouldn't mind just talking us through like your journey from like a little bit on your upbringing and then through to obviously your journey from being at out of shape. Well, when we say out of shape, you're probably like 20% body fat, right? It's yeah, still in better, better shape. shape. <laughs> That's out of shape for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if you wouldn't mind talking to us about that, mate. Yeah, there, there's a lot there, right? Yeah, there is, mate. Sorry, man. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you come back that. Yeah, I'll, I'll do my best to try and tie that all together because there, there's definitely a big gap there too, right? So growing up and what you're alluding to is, you know, as a young kid my my father committed suicide when i was seven years old my mom remarried into an abusive relationship um uh, we moved around in nine different homes growing up we i'm no stranger to what food stamps look like uh and i really share that story is uh, when i tell people about my upbringing it's not a feel sorry in fact i wouldn't change anything uh i think that growing up like that uh i actually think that uh, i think it's coming from a privileged position and that seems weird or odd uh, for some people when I say that, but what it allowed me to do was face a lot of adversity at a very young age. So when I came into adulthood, things that other people felt were really challenging or scary or difficult in life just didn't seem that scary to me. And that is what propelled me into to business and entrepreneurship because, as you know, uh, the success rate in entrepreneurship is really, really low. You're going to fail. 
80 percent of the time most any millionaires out there will tell you that it was the 10th 11th or 20th time when they finally hit it or made it and so uh, overcoming adversity and failing and struggles was a part of my life early on and so i didn't shy away from uh, building businesses and trying to figure that out so I fell right into that and I fell into uh, becoming a personal trainer because I liked uh, personal growth, being uh, improving myself, something that I could control and I could learn about. And I found very, I was very passionate about teaching others. Um, fast forward 10, 15 years later, um, I'm chasing dollars. Uh, at this point in my life, I want to make a lot of money and my definition of success uh was wrapped around a dollar amount uh because of probably what i came from and so much of my pursuit had to do with how much money was in my bank account or how big of a house can i afford and things like that and i actually reached that that kind of financial goal for myself through medical marijuana so i i'm from the bay area san jose california and I, it was one of the second big cities to actually adopt medical marijuana, and I was on the front end of that. I had an opportunity to move into that space, and it was purely uh, around money. I wasn't an activist. I wasn't like pro-cannabis guy. In fact, I didn't even smoke marijuana back then, uh, but I did see the writing on the wall. I saw the opportunity. I saw where marijuana was going. I saw this eight, eight plus years ago, and I moved into that space. I did very well for myself. Uh, but I was very unhappy. I found myself uh, to the story that you were alluding to where I was out of shape. So at 30 years old, um, I had the deepest pockets, uh, deep, deepest pockets I ever had in my life, could do virtually anything I really wanted to do financially, uh, but I was very unhappy. I was out of shape. Uh, I just had a, a girlfriend at the time cheat on me. I'd lost two of my best uh, friendships that I had. I wasn't in contact with my family really. And I had a moment where I kind of looked around at my life and said, this is crazy. Uh, here I am at this place that I thought uh, I would be so happy. And this is probably one of the worst times in my life. And it was at that moment that I decided to go back into fitness, right? To, to pursue personal training and to get back into that space. And at that time, I was in a very, uh, you know, lucky situation because I had built up enough income that I didn't have to go make money. So I purely could go after what do I want to do? What do I think would be an amazing career or job for the rest of my life? I knew I wanted to go back in fitness. I saw the opportunities in social media, what was happening on Instagram and YouTube and Facebook at the time. You saw a lot of people that were starting to build these businesses around social media platforms. And I was very intrigued by that. And the people that I saw that were having a ton of success, I thought weren't providing a lot of good information. So I decided, okay, well, let me get myself out there and see if I can provide better information. But I also knew that if I was going to get the attention of you know hundreds or thousands or potentially millions one day, I, I would have to do something or show them something that's impressive enough or get their attention uh, somehow. And I thought, well, here I am in the worst shape of my life. What I'll do is I'll document my transformation on social media. This will allow people to, to see how knowledgeable I am. Along the way, I'll share that journey and the information that I think is counter to what I was seeing out there. And I used that to get the first initial wave of people that were paying attention to us. And then that is where I met Sal and Doug and Justin and I were already friends and we all got together 
and Sal was working on Maps Fitness products, and I was building the social media presence, and we got together, and it just instantly were friends and saw an opportunity to do something together, and Mind Pump Media was born. So, uh, in a nutshell, that's kind of my story uh, condensed as much as I can for you as far as like where I came from, what drove me in the direction to start what we did. Um, I had a vision for a e-commerce business, but I can't say that I knew that it was going to look like what we did, which I think is an important lesson in entrepreneurship. I always say, uh, love your ideas, but don't marry them. I think it's important to be passionate about whatever it is that you're doing, but something I've learned in every business that I've built uh, it rarely ever the adult looks like the child, right? So rarely ever does the final product or what the end business ends up looking like, rarely ever does it look exactly on what you had planned. And you have to be open to change as you grow and pivot uh, when you need to. And so, you know, Mind Pump is literally a, the ultimate pivot for me. It was this idea that I was going to build an e-commerce business. Uh, I was going to use social media as the main uh, means or medium to do that through. And uh, what it resulted in was this pivot with three other founders and uh, Maps Fitness products and the advertising and everything else that we've now done. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, that was a very open question, wasn't it? Trying to pack your whole upbringing and, you know, your, your journey to the stage all in one. But on, I was going to say about in terms of like the mindset requirements, Ad, right? So, you know, with your journey going from where you were. So, when you were at your worst shape, you said then, how long was it between then and your first show when you went from that to literally getting on stage? My first show, so the transformation uh, started first, right? So the, the very first thing and, and how that unfolded for the people that don't know my story, I actually had no desire to compete, right? So I don't know anything about the sport, hardly at all. I don't follow it. I, I never said, oh, I one day want to compete on stage. The only reason why I did it was because my transformation got so much traction, it was kind of like the next progression. So I went from 20% body fat at 30 years old, which at that time was the worst shape of my life, down to 7% body fat, which is somewhere I, even as a personal trainer, I had never been that lean before. And that was the goal. I, I, I said that on my Instagram and YouTube. I said, I'm going to do this. And the goal is to be in the best shape of my life at 30 years old, coming from the worst shape of my life. And that, I would say it built about 15 to 20,000 followers uh, during that process, during the transformation to get there. And that took me about nine months to a year, somewhere in that range, give or take, uh, to get to that place. And once I saw the attention that it, it, that it built and how many people were excited about my journey, and I, I was getting a lot of people, oh, you should compete, you should compete. And that was literally the only time I'd ever thought about it. Up at that point, it was never crossed my mind. But because I saw how much attention it was getting, I thought, okay, well, maybe I'll step into this competitive world and do it with no coach, do it with no team, and now compete at the, a much higher level than just myself, uh, compete against others, and throw my, throw my hat in the ring and see what happens. And so – that's what made me go do that. Then that took another year. So I would say from being fat and out of shape, it was almost two years when I hit stage. And I could have hit stage sooner, but I, I knew I wanted to win. I'm very competitive at anything I do. And I knew that even though I had gotten in good shape 
from where I was. And in fact, I was in the, the best, you know, lean shape I've ever been in my life. I knew that I needed to put on a lot more muscle and I needed to build a more symmetrical physique if I was going to go compete with the best in the world. So although I had people telling me and other coaches and people in the space, oh, you should get on stage, get your first show out, just go practice. I actually said, no, I want to wait until I feel like I have a, a physique that I think is competitive enough to hang with, you know, a, a top five in the NPC. So that is what I did. And so it took me almost two years before I hit stage. And when I did, I would say that, uh, you know, even though I didn't win my first show, uh, I, I placed third in third and fifth is what I placed. I believe third and fifth. Yeah. Third and fifth or third and fourth. I placed in my first show. And, uh, the third was in the, uh, you know, the, the beginner novice category or whatever. The fifth was in the open, which means you don't even qualify for nationals until you do top, top three in the open category. And so I had to do another show to compete and go to the next level. And so, that's what kind of drew me to the space and what made me get into it. And it just, I just kept, kept snowballing. I got, I kept getting more and more attention for this guy who was out of shape just two years ago. And now he's out and he's competing. And I was doing it on my, I think a lot of people were fascinated that I was doing it without a coach and without a team, which is more rare, probably even more rare today than even then. Like not a lot of people were doing that themselves. Most people were hiring someone to do it. And so, and obviously my desired outcome was that people would respect me for my knowledge, my information, my, my ability to do this. And so I didn't want to use somebody else, even though it would have been helpful probably to have that. The idea was to, to build myself as an authority if I was later on going to monetize the business and, and turn it into an e-commerce business. Awesome, mate. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. So in terms of all the people you've coached at, right, obviously you've got almost like two decades experience, right, as a, as a personal trainer and coach, give or take. How, how many? You've had a, almost two decades, yeah, two, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. 20 years. 20 years. There we go. So in terms of all the people you've coached, all the hundreds of people, right, mainly, you know, general pop. And I'm sure a lot of people here will be able to relate, that, relate to this anyway. In terms of the mindset requirements, Ad, what would you say generally? I know, again, it's, it's kind of a broad question because I know it depends on the person and the specific goal, but whether that be like weight loss or just long-term success with health and fitness, you know, let's say weight loss, for example, right? What, what would you say are the main kind of mindset requirements for people to get long-term success? Because you always talk about, and we all know that, you know, especially with weight loss, for example, right? You know, 85 to 90% of people kind of gain all the weight back they lost, for an example. So what would you say are like the key mindset requirements that you saw uh, in clients who were successful and the ones who kind of weren't? Well, I think, I think the first key is seeing, seeing where some of the biggest mistakes are made by people, right? Um, we, we don't have a weight loss problem in, in this country. I mean, people lose weight every year, but it's keeping it off that we have a problem. And the keeping off part is the consistency piece and the behavioral change that people miss on. And a lot of the reason why they miss that is because they rely so heavily on motivation to get them. Very rarely have I ever met somebody who lacked the motivation who came into the gym, right? So the, the, one of the hardest things I used to commend anybody who sat in front of me and, and was about to purchase personal training for me that, you know, walking through the door and getting that membership and sitting down here in front of me and, and telling me 
uh, about your insecurities and your goals and where you're at. One of the hardest things you could ever do. So you've already accomplished like one of the most challenging parts. Most of those people are motivated enough to get going at it. Uh, it's the decisions and the things that they make after that, that, that tend to be wrong. And one of the ones is overreaching is actually setting too lofty a goals and thinking that, uh, the more they do, the more results they'll get. And the, and, and this is something that took me a long time to learn in, in my career. Like early on as a trainer, I get somebody in for like fat loss, like we're talking about, and I would plug in all their stuff in the computer. Oh, you weigh this much. Um, you have this much activity. This is your goal. This is how much protein, carbs, fat you need. Here's the exercise program. Okay, here's, let's just go follow this for the next six to eight months. And you're going to have the results you need, basically giving everybody the answers to the test. And just like teaching somebody anything else in life, if you just give them all the answers to the test, they might pass the test, they might get to the results, but the likelihood that they're going to learn uh, the correct behaviors to keep them there for the rest of their life is, is very unlikely. So the mistake a lot of people make when, when pursuing fat loss or any, any goal for that matter at the beginning is kind of overreaching and, and, and setting too high of expectations for what they should do. In fact, if you're coming from not doing anything on the couch whatsoever and we're just getting started, then I would normally, or I would now, I wouldn't normally when I first started, but I would now, I would tell somebody who comes in, it's like, let's pick one or two things in your life uh, that we can start to implement that will hopefully become long-term behaviors. And so if you don't see yourself working out in the gym seven days a week for one hour and eating 1300 calories and do, getting on the treadmill three days a week for an hour for the rest of your life, then we sure as shit should not start there. That's definitely not a place that we want. And, and that's what happens. A lot of people, they, they come out the gates all high on motivation and they want to do as much as they possibly can. And it, there's this feedback loop that, that is tough to overcome as a coach and a trainer because they go do that, and what happens in the first couple of weeks? They see results. Results, yep. Yeah, you go from you go from sitting on the couch eating Doritos and not moving, and then all of a sudden you're training seven days a week, doing cardio, and eating thirteen hundred calories, and your goal is uh, fat loss. Yeah, you're going to lose some weight. You're probably going to lose a good amount, and if you continue that for the next couple of weeks, you're going to continue to lose some weight. The problem is that comes to a screeching halt, normally well before you ever reach the ultimate goal that you were you were pursuing. And it comes to a, sc a screeching halt because we didn't follow a lot of rules in science that we, sh that we should have done in order to, to get there the right way that's sustainable forever. And so the, the, the key is, is to tell somebody like that is to, is to pick one or two things in their life. And a good coach can do this. They can assess somebody where they're currently at, meet them where they're currently at, and, and add one or two things that will be lifelong behaviors. And sometimes, if, depending on where you're at, that's a 30-minute walk every day. But what's beautiful about that is if you're, some, somebody, if you're somebody who never does that and you've never been consistent with that, and as a coach, I get you to start doing that, that one thing that you do for the rest of your life, it'll, it'll add up in the long run. Sure, it's not going to lose 15 pounds in a week, but what, it, what you're starting to do is to build good behaviors. And so that is the, the key to this. And Jordan Peterson has a, a talk where he, he gets into this about you know, setting goals really low, right? You want to set these goals so low that you start to accomplish them relatively quick and then you start to build momentum. And it's that momentum that will keep somebody going long-term. Whereas if you're so focused on the, oh, I need to lose 80 pounds and I got to kill myself to get there, 
That's such a daunting goal. It's such an unrealistic, sustainable lifestyle that it's inevitable. There's a reason why 85% of the people fail is because it's not realistic to do that. And so you're, you're much better off picking one or two little things you can do. Be consistent with that. Prove that you have the discipline. Discipline is, is far more important than motivation. Motivation is fleeting. And there's going to be days you're sad, you're unmotivated, and you'll have ne needed to build routines and disciplines in that will keep you going. And so you pick one or two things, training two days a week, you know, adding this into my diet, be very consistent with that, knock that out the park for a month or two in a row. Okay, now let's add this, do that for a month or two, then add this. And then before you know it, you have this momentum and you've built this, this, this lifestyle. The second thing that I would say that is key, and this is really the coach's part, and those that are listening that are, that are clients, this is the, the area where I'm always looking for them to, to help make this connection. And that is starting to connect the behavior change, the behavioral changes that you implement into their life to other things besides just the scale. They might have came in there to lose 50 to 100 pounds, and that's great because that's, believe it or not, of all the goals, that's pretty easy for us to get to. But if I'm going to get them to do it for the rest of their life, I got to help make them make connections to the habits that they're starting to create for themselves and how it, how it improves the, the other aspects of their life. So as a coach, when I get a client to start weightlifting twice a week and let's just say uh, adding a bowl of you know, berries and fruit every day, like let's say that those are our, our first basic goals. Right? That's, I'm, can we do a full body workout twice a week? and uh, add some vegetables and fruit to your diet that you need. Uh, or maybe it's hit your protein intake, you know, take something basic like that. It, 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 can we do that? Can we do those, those simple things and then, and then build, upon, uh, build upon that versus trying to throw everything at that person uh, all at once and then them falling short? Uh, to me, those things are so key is, is building that. And then once you get them to do that, you're asking them questions like, how's your stool? How was your sleep last night? How's your, how's your relationships? How was your energy level? How did you wake up? How was your skin? How was your hair? All these things are affected by the foods that we consume and the habits that we have when it comes to exercise, sleep, and diet. And I want to help my clients when they start making those good decisions. I want to help connect the dots to other things than just the scale or the mirror. The scale and the mirror, like, if you're always focused on those things, you'll miss out on all the other benefits that eating right and exercise and sleep does for the body. And so if I can help them make that connection, then they won't get so hung up on the, the, the ups and downs of the scale or the good days or bad days when it comes to the mirror. And they'll go to the gym because it makes them feel better because they're a better employee or employer or they're a better partner or they sleep better, or their energy is more sustainable, or they're more productive through the day. And so as a coach, it's so important that we connect the dots to all the other aspects of life that is improved when you live a lifestyle like this, not just what's going on with the scale or the mirror. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for reinforcing that, because that's something I'm always kind of hammering home. And that's Thanks to you guys as well, because I was going through my own kind of process at the time when I started listening to Mind Pump about six years ago. I was going through a little shift in my mindset where, you know, obviously I was competing at the time and stuff. And as you said before, right, 
as a young young guy when you were younger, driven mainly by kind of like how you look, right? Insecurities and stuff like that. And wanting to look good aesthetically. But then when I made that shift myself and you guys were just constantly hammering at home, it's like paying attention to those things. As you said, all those important health markers is so important, you know? And, and gut health was massive for me, you know? And also just just basically eating more whole foods, right? When I started cutting out a lot of the processed crap, it was actually the same time I started listening to you guys. Because I, I mentioned before about my problems uh, with binge eating and stuff like that, which went on for like 18 months or something. Uh, but I was going through that process when I started listening to you guys. And that's when I started connecting all the dots you were saying then, right? Sleep, skin, all those kind of things. And then obviously I use that now and, and transfer that into, into clients now. So those struggles that I've had and what you guys have constantly reinforced for me has definitely helped, you know, everyone here. So yeah, mate, if you wouldn't mind just, uh, I was going to see if you could talk quickly about like reverse dieting, right? I've got a lot of clients, probably most of my clients actually, uh, reverse dieting right now and focusing on building muscle. Would you mind just talking us through like what reverse dieting is and maybe how you would kind of apply that to your clients just generally? I know obviously, again, everyone's different, but just some basic concepts on reverse dieting would be helpful, Ad. Yeah, yeah. So, um, Lane Norton has a really good book on this. Uh, I think one of the one of the better easy reads uh, as far as you know how how do I figure out where where I should reverse diet for my body. And you're right, it's very individual on where you're currently at. So the first thing that I need when I'm helping somebody with a reverse diet is their baseline. So um, you have to track. You need to figure out where where you're currently at right now. And calorie wise, right? So how many calories do you consume on a consistent basis? The idea of the reverse diet is to slowly add calories in the diet to get your metabolism to speed up. The body is an amazing machine. It adapts to almost just about anything that we throw at it. And if you eat less and less calories in your pursuit of weight loss, the unfortunate part of what happens is the body will adapt to that new caloric intake, meaning it slows the metabolism down. Basically it gets smart and says, oh, She's not going to feed me any more calories. I need to learn to sustain off the amount of calories that I'm, I'm getting and therefore slowing the metabolism down. So eventually what ends up happening to a lot of people is they restrict calories, restrict calories, restrict calories. And they get to a place where they're only at 1,200, 1,300 calories. Anything they eat over that sticks to the body and they add body fat and they're still not at their goal they want to be and they feel like they're eating hardly anything. And so now it's time for us to hopefully – reverse diet and get them getting their calories to increase. So a couple things, some, some foundational or principles to reverse dieting that are key to the success of it. One, finding out where we're at. So it doesn't matter if we're at 1100, 1500, 1900, figuring out where your baseline, what is your baseline? Your baseline is how many calories can you eat on a daily basis and not gain or lose weight? That's your, what we would call maintenance caloric intake. Once you have your maintenance caloric intake, we like to recommend somewhere between 250 to 500 calorie increase. Where, did, where does that range come from? Okay, if you're somebody who's down in the 1,200 range to 1,500 calorie range of calories, I'm going to lean more towards the 200 calorie surplus because it's, that's such a small number. If I'm talking to a big guy who's 35, eating 3,500 calories and he's wanting to reverse diet like I would out of a show, I could probably add closer to 500. So I'd probably push him 400 to 500 calories a day. So that's where the individual variance is. So if you're very low, your metabolism is very slow, you probably only want to play with a couple hundred calories a day. Now the goal is to add those calories at the same time that I'm training. And ideally what I like to do when I reverse diet somebody 
is I like to change my training routine. So let's say I have a, a female client. Let's say she's eating 13 to 1400 calories. We're about to reverse diet. She's been with me for a while and it's time for us to reverse. So I am then going to take her 1300 calories and say, okay, I now want you to eat 1500 calories every day. And I'm also going to train, change your training routine. We were focused maybe on hypertrophy, building muscle type of a training program, eight to 12 repetitions, these types of exercises. Now we're going to move to a, a strength protocol, heavy weight, four to five reps. And the, the reverse can be true. So if, they, if we were in the middle of training, strength training at that time, and I decided to reverse diet them, I'm going to change their modality. Well, you ask, well, why? What is that? What's so special about those routines or training? It? Well, whatever it is that your body's doing right now, both nutritionally and exercise, it's getting used to, it's getting adapted, adapted to that. So when I add calories to the diet, my theory is I also want to change the type of training you're doing. So it's a new stimulus to the body. So the body recognizes as a new stimulus. That way it kind of protects those additional calories. So now I add more calories. Hopefully those new calories go over into building muscle because I've sent a new signal to the body because this is a new exercise, a new way of training body's unfamiliar with it. It's looking for more nutrients and more calories to work through it. I increase it to, in your reverse diet, those calories get partitioned over to building muscle. Now, my goal is week over week, can I slowly increase calories without adding body fat? Now, I might see the scale go up a pound or two. I'm not really concerned about that. I, I normally, wherever my client's weight is, give or take three or five pounds, also, depending on how big they are, the difference between a 230-pound man versus a 120-pound girl, I obviously want to see less fluctuation in the girl who's 120. I would give a lot more fluctuation to the guy who's 230. So say somewhere between two and six pounds, I will allow fluctuation because water weight, carbohydrates, sodium, those things all will fluctuate your weight day to day. So I'm not concerned about that. So if we're on a reverse diet. And my client comes back to me and she goes, oh, my God, Adam, I just started adding those calories and we added two pounds this week. I'm not really worried about two pounds. Now, if she adds two pounds this week, then she adds two pounds next week and she adds two pounds again. Now we're up to six pounds in three weeks that she's adding. I probably added too many calories to her diet and or I'm not doing enough moving in her day to day to cancel cancel out the calorie intake. So. That is the basic strategy and goal to the reverse diet is to slowly increase calories without putting on bad weight, putting on body fat. And the goal should be at this point when you're reverse dieting, it's not about weight loss. It's not about leaning out. The goal is how high can we get those calories up without you putting body fat on? And so a perfect world, I'm increasing your calories a little bit at a time, week over week, you're getting stronger in the gym, and maybe you even see the scale go up a little bit, but it's not fat. You're adding muscle. Like I'm testing your body fat percentage every two to four weeks to just to make sure to recalibrate. And in a perfect world, I've taken that girl who's 120 pounds, eating 1,300 calories. At the end of the month, even though maybe her ultimate goal is weight loss, at the end of the month, I'm okay if she put three pounds on, stayed the same, added five pounds around that range, so long as her body fat percentage stayed the same or went down. So that is what we're looking for because ultimately the goal in a reverse diet is to speed the metabolism up more than it is about getting shredded, adding muscle, burning body fat. It's can I allow this person to get their place where they're eating more calories without getting fatter? 
And then when I get them to a place that they are satisfied, then we go the other direction. My personal goal when I do this, I want to push them as high as you can. So I'm looking for my client to look back at me and say, Adam, I can't eat anymore. You're asking me to eat 2,700 calories a day now, and all I feel like I do is I eat and I eat and I eat. Now we're in a beautiful place. I've taken my, my, my client, who is a female, eating 1,300 to 1,500 calories. She's, she's stuffed. She's eating 2,700 calories, and she's not getting any, any, putting on any body fat. Now I go, okay, now let's go the other direction. Now let's drop you down to, say, 24 or 2,300 calories. And what you'll see is the body fat will just plummet off that person. And she's now at a place where she's happy. She's eating a good amount of calories. She doesn't feel like she's starving the body. And now her body is responding and it's dropping. And we may have to do this multiple times for somebody who has like a large fitness goal. So somebody who maybe wants to lose 50, 70, 100 plus pounds, I may have to do this multiple times in the journey. So if they come to me and you're 100 pounds overweight and you're only eating 1,500 calories, I may have to do this multiple times. I may have to take you from 1,500 slowly work your way up to 2,700, bring you back down to 2,000. We lose good 20 pounds. Then we got to do it again. And then, we, and then we keep doing that throughout this entire journey of losing 50, 70, 100 pounds. So that's where all the variants are in this. I mean, if I'm talking yeah. to a, a female at a certain weight or a male at a certain weight and how much weight we're trying to lose would depend on how long I reverse diet for, the amount of calories I have to them. But those are some of the core principles of what we're trying to accomplish. Awesome. Yeah. And Vern asked a good question there as well. I was just going to ask you a question on cardio quickly, but yeah, that was a really good explanation. Ed. And I was going to say in terms of the hardest part as a coach, right, is obviously the communication element, right? Especially, you know, most people here, most of my clients, females, but 70% uh, females. So the communication element and the fact that it doesn't happen overnight, like what you're saying there, right? For example, to get a woman from 1500 calories maintenance, up to say 2,700, for example, doesn't happen overnight, right? Ed? So what are the biggest kind of like challenges you've had communicating that? Uh, Cause it's, it's a challenging thing, right? Especially even, even guys, but especially females when you're, they've come to you to lose weight, right? And then you're telling them to increase their calories. Um, how do you, how do you, I know it's a tough question again, but like the communication element is the important piece, right? With, with oh, yeah. it's challenging. It can be challenging, right? Here's, here's, what, here's what I say to them, and uh, we'll do it right now and see how the reaction that we get. So yeah, we have two scenarios, okay? We're going we're gonna to use the, this female – we're going to use a female client who comes to me and she's only eating 1,300 to 1,500 calories, and let's say she wants to lose 40 pounds. She wants to lose 40 pounds. She's eating 1,300 to 1,500 calories, and her main goal is lose 40 pounds. She hires me. There's, we're going to use the same – this is the same person, two scenarios – and then I'm going to ask you, what, what, which person is having the success and which person is not? So a month goes by, client one, or, the, or scenario one, she is down 15 pounds. We cut her calories even more. I push some cardio. We're weight training like crazy. She's down 15 pounds towards her 40 pounds at the end of those 30 days. That's client one. And we did that through restricting some of her calories. So I took her from her 13 to 1,500 down to allow 1,100, 1,200 calories. I bumped up some cardio, did some weight training, and she's down 15 pounds at the end of that month. Scenario two, this client actually gained two pounds. Two pounds went up on the scale, even though the goal is to lose 30 pounds. 
but we're eating 1,700 to 1,800 calories right now. We're not doing any cardio, and all we're doing is strength training three times a week. But the goal is to lose 30 pounds. And so wrap, wrapping the client's brain around that scenario two is absolutely winning and in the perfect situation. And client one is failing miserably. And that is hard for someone to wrap their brain around when they come and they pay you thousands of dollars to get them to lose 30 pounds. And then you tell them that if we go a month and you lose 15 pounds and you're doing it this way, we are failing. And if you actually gain two pounds at the end of the month, but I got you eating 17 to 1800 calories, that person, scenario two, is in a much better situation to get to reach their, girl, reach their goal and keep it off for the rest of their life. The client one scenario is destined to fail. It's only a matter of time when they, they quit and then the weight not only comes back, but they add more and now they have a slower metabolism and now they're frustrated as shit. Mm. And you gotta, you gotta be able to paint that picture for your clients to understand so that when they're going along their journey with you and they're a month in and their main goal was to lose 30 pounds and the scale's not going down, that's okay because they understand the vision. They understand the big picture of what we're trying to accomplish. And so I've got to paint that picture a hundred different ways based off a hundred different people that I'm training with. But that's what I'm trying to get them to understand is that I know your main goal is to lose 30 pounds, but that's not our short-term goal right now. Our short-term goal right now is to get your metabolism in a healthy place so that when we do lose that 30 pounds, you don't put it back on. Thanks for reinforcing that. And uh, Vern was kind of like going like this, and that's me, that's me. Because with Vern, obviously, just for some context, Vern actually teaches spin classes. So she, and she was doing quite a lot as well. She was doing a lot more like, I basically managed to taper it down and get her to just do more steps and less intense cardio and then more strength training. We've kept the weight, you know, roughly the same. She has got leaner though, and she's getting stronger and stronger, you know, week on week, like you said, right? So, but she just asked a question then. We'll just fire out a quick Q&A now, Ad. Um, she asked a question about cardio then. So she said, why isn't cardio a good way to cancel those extra calories? So movement is good. Cardio, not so good. Cardio is, is, a, is higher intensity. So when you do cardio, basically what you are telling the body is to become efficient with calories. Meaning, so this is, what, this is how the body receives. You get on a treadmill and you start running. What the body receives that is, oh, we have to work hard. This person is going to work hard, and I have to conserve fuel. The body only wants to do one thing, survive. It wants to live. And it doesn't understand that you, what, you got on the treadmill to burn fat. It doesn't receive the message like that. It receives it as you're pushing the body hard. You only gave me this many calories. Therefore, I've got to conserve energy because I don't know if she's going to give me food tomorrow or later. I don't know if she's going to push me on this goddamn Stairmaster for an hour or four hours. And so it conserves energy. So you're sending a, a catabolic message to the body, which is to break down. And if you break down on the body like that, then what ends up happening is the body conserves energy and slows down. That's the opposite that happens when we strength train to build muscle. It's pro-tissue. So when we lift weights, we send a different signal to the body. When you lift weights, the signal the body receives is, oh my God, I got to lift these heavy things. I need muscle to do that or else this is going to be really hard to do. In order for me to get muscle, I need to go find calories to build that muscle. So it takes the extra calories you consume, it builds muscle, and muscle is an expensive tissue, meaning 
that muscle needs more calories than fat needs to survive on your body. So it speeds the metabolism up. Cardio does the opposite. Now, movement, just walking, is a good strategy sometimes to counter the additional calories. So let's go back to the scenario that I said, let's pretend uh, a client, I'm, I'm reverse dieting, and uh, we, we're not doing any cardio, we're just strength training, and I just bumped their calories two or 300. And the first week goes by, they add two pounds. I'm not worried as a coach yet. Second week goes by, they add two pounds again. Okay, now I'm getting a little worried that I'm only adding 200 calories and they're still putting on weight. Hopefully some of it's muscle, but I also don't want to be putting on weight that fast. So I might give them a recommendation of, I want you to walk now every day for 30 minutes. Walking, not running, not sweating, not pushing, because I don't want to send a signal to the body you're trying to kill it and give it less calories. I just want you to kind of counter some of the extra calories through movement. I don't want to send that high intensity signal to the body. I just want to move a little bit to potentially offset some of the additional calories. So adding movement is not a bad strategy. The only reason why I want to wait to go there though, is because just think about the direction that goes. You can only add so much movement, so much exercise to your day that eventually you run out. I'm always thinking about what's sustainable. I don't want to keep adding things to this person unless I absolutely have to. So that is the last place we're going. And definitely not cardio because now you're sending a mixing signal. If you're building muscle, if you're a strength training to build muscle, which is pro tissue, and you're also doing cardio, they're conflicting messages. I don't want to send the conflicting messages. Right, yeah. And Emily also asked there, right, as well, just how you decide whether to do like a reverse diet with a client or a body recomp. I know, obviously, that's, again, it depends on the person where they're at and stuff, but would you ever make that decision? And if so, how, how do you kind of decide? It all depends on their, they're satisfied with their eating. Mm -hmm. If I have a client, if I have a client who, uh, so the way, the only reason why I would reverse diet somebody is if they want to lose fat or lose body fat and they're not at a good place calorie wise, what I think is sustainable. And part of what I think is sustainable is also the communication that I have with them. So if, you know, Susie, who wants to lose 30 pounds, is only eating 1,500 calories to be where she's at and she wants to lose more weight, I'm going to tell her, like, we need a reverse diet because I'm going to take you down to 1,200 and I don't even need to ask you to know that that's not a plate. You're not very satisfied with 1,200 calories. But let's say Susie is eating 2,500 calories. She eats a lot of food. And she wants to lose some, some body fat. And I can bring her down to 2,000 or 2,200 calories, which, yeah, it's restricting her, but it's not that low. It's not, like, miserably low. It's not like she can't live off of 2,000 calories for a long time. That's a sustainable diet for a smaller female. It's not bad. So it all depends on where they're currently at on whether I would, would promote a reverse diet or not. So and now it's never really a bad idea. Reverse dieting, getting, trying to speed your metabolism up is, is pretty advantageous for almost anybody, except for maybe a hard gainer. <laughs> That's, that person is the skinny kid who can't build muscle. It's a little less advantageous to reverse diet and try and speed your metabolism. Most everybody else who wants to be healthy, fit, lean, or balanced, like reverse dieting is almost where I start almost every client. It's rare I would get somebody who sat in front of me and said, Adam, I'm 50 pounds plus overweight, and here's how I eat. And I look at their, and they're eating 5,000 calories of McDonald's, Burger King, pizza. Normally, if you came to me and you hired me, 
you've already tried dieting and exercise on your own so many times that I get you like this. You're 50 pounds overweight and you're like, Adam, I literally eat hardly anything. This is what I eat. And I look at their diet and they're only eating 1,300 to 1,500 calories. And occasionally they have wine or every once in a while they go to dinner and they're like, anytime I eat outside of my chicken salads, it sticks to me. And that's because their metabolism is in, the, is in the dumpster because they've slowed their metabolism down from yo-yo dieting and trying so many different terrible methods that that's when I normally get them. So I, I almost always get a client in, in, in need of reverse dieting, but it doesn't necessarily mean that everybody needs a reverse diet. If you're in a very healthy place calorically where you're very content where you're at or you're even high and you know you want to lose a little, a few, a few pounds, dropping down to 2,800, 2,500 calories, not a big deal, but that's not where I get most people. And I'm sure that's not where you get most people. Mm, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's totally right. As you say, it's so rare for a woman even to come, come to you who eats like two and a half thousand calories, right? I just, like you said, then it just doesn't even happen, does it? A woman who eats two and a half thousand calories and is, uh, you know, obviously most of the time it's, you know, it's down 1500. Well, it depends, but definitely way down more towards 1500 or below, right? So, hey, um, just a, another quick question, and then I've just got a quick one for you, mate, and I'll, uh, I'll let you go then. Um, basically, mate, Lucen said, I'm sure we can answer this one, what's your advice for a, for a hard gainer? Because you've been there yourself, right? So, Yeah, so I. I mean, there's lots. I mean, we did a whole episode on hard gainers, right? Oh, there we go, easy. Yeah. You can just yeah, point them there. <laughs> yeah, and I'm pretty sure you can Google Mind Pup Hard Gainer, and we have a, an entire pillar page built around hard gainers and helping hard gainers out. Um, cause there's a lot of different tips. There's a lot of things that I've learned, uh, along the way. One of the mistakes I made as a hard gainer in the past, as a kid growing up was, I just thought like, eat, eat anything in sight, you know, McDonald's, but I couldn't put on fat when I was a kid. It was so hard for me, which by the way, you know, listen, it's totally different as a 40 year old. So as a 40 year old dad, body fat comes on just fine. There's a lot uh, of people that hate you, hate you for I saying have, that now. There's a lot of people I looking at you like this. I have the opposite problem now. But this is We're looking back to 17-year-old hard gainer me okay, as a kid. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, I, I, made, I made a lot of bad food choices. Thinking, and one of the big mistakes with that was I would fill up on, on uh, empty calories and calories that, that didn't do a lot for building a, a, a aesthetic physique or building muscle, right? So I ended up on carbs and sugar and crap that wasn't promoting me building muscle. Sure, it gave my calorie intake a, a good amount, but it was a bunch of crap and sugar, and I wasn't getting good nutrition food. So one of the biggest things that made a difference for me as a hard gainer was actually shifting my focus in the day. So early on in the day, I would actually eat really clean. I would, I would eat good you know, with eggs and rice and oatmeal and chicken and steak and yams and sweet potato and all these staple, staple, healthy, balanced, good, high protein type of meals. And then at the, towards the end of the day, if I was still low on calories, then I would allow myself to pile other things on. Now, as a, remember, I'm talking to a hard gainer who's trying to build muscle, struggling. This is not my advice to the general population or even for somebody who just wants to be healthy. Like I would never recommend somebody piling on ice cream or calories. But if you're somebody who was like me, who, was, who could not put a pound of muscle on if his life would save him when I was younger, then strategies like this really helped me. It would help me to eat like that early on, and then I would pile on the carbohydrates or the extra calories that I want. Now, ideally, you go get those things from, you know, denser calories like in breads and pastas and stuff like that, because those are better choices than going to, say, ice cream or candy. 
But the mistake I made as a young kid was I just ate like an asshole all the time versus getting what my body needs to build the body that I want. And then if I'm still low on calories, then I could add those calories later on. That was one of the best things that I learned on my journey of building muscle later on was get the stuff I need first, hit my macro targets, my proteins and fats, the essential things first. And then, oh, okay, I'm only at 3,000 calories. My body needed 4,000 calorie plus back then. Okay, now I can go enjoy something on top of that because I got what my body needs first. And then the other thing for hard gainers that was a massive shift for me was I was overtraining. Uh, I came from the place like probably many clients did, which is thinking more means more. Uh, when you have a high metabolism and you're burning all the time, training five, six, seven days a week is not advantageous. It, it was really hard for me to wrap my brain around that too, that a two-day two or a three-day-a-week program would build me more muscle than being in the gym five to seven days a week lifting weights. And it absolutely did. That's when muscle started to come on me when I started to actually cut back on how much training and how much gym time I was spending. Mm. Yeah, I see what you mean. I had exactly the same experience with that as well. Just, you know, less, less was more for sure. So, mate, um, literally just there's like one or two more questions here now. We'll just, we'll just leave it there then. Mate, I really appreciate your time. Some uh, really, really valuable advice, mate, as always. But yeah, um, carbs, right? Because a couple of people have asked about carbs here quickly. And again, I know it's a broad question and not all carbs are treated equally. But generally, obviously, I don't know which one of these to ask you now. I think, I think I'll ask you the one just, you know, carbs are being even. People still have that thing in their mind, obviously, with marketing that you see everywhere, right? You know, carbohydrates are evil and they should be avoided and whatnot. So, like, what would you say to someone? Because like I said, not all carbs are treated equally anyway, right? So what would you say to someone who's like, oh, you know, um, should I avoid carbs? I'm keeping my carbs low and, you know, a carbs evil kind of thing. I mean, there's a couple answers to that. Uh, you should avoid carbs if avoiding carbs makes you feel way better. I mean, if there's certain carbohydrates, and typically it's not carbs in general, it's specific carbs. Uh, normally gluten and wheat are the – gluten, wheat, and sugar tend to be the big three uh, in the carb category that – uh, are the greatest offenders, right? So um, I have an intolerance to gluten. So if I'm doing bread, and then also dairy too, right? So, uh, which is more of fat and protein, but there's still carbohydrates in there. Uh, it, it all depends on how those foods affect you personally. As far as fat loss, building muscle, if they don't negatively affect you, then it's not a big deal. Eating carbohydrates are fine, especially if you're doing something that requires energy and performance, then they're very beneficial because low carbohydrate, there's plenty of research and studies around, is not advantageous for somebody who's trying to perform. So if you're trying to perform, whether it be performing the gym lifting or a sport or exercise that you like to do, then a low carbohydrate diet is probably not uh, advantageous for that person. Now, Sal runs a, a relatively low carbohydrate diet because he's got tummy issues. I always tease him about his tummy. He's got <laughs> all kinds of he's got all kinds of gut issues, right? Everything upsets his, his tummy. So he eats a, a very high high fat, moderate protein, low, low carbohydrate diet because his gut gets inflamed, it fucks up his digestion. If those things are off, your sleep is probably off, your recovery is off, your body's ability to assimilate protein ideally is off. And so that makes sense for that person to avoid carbohydrates. But if you eat bread, you eat pasta, you eat those foods, and it doesn't make you feel bloated, 
it doesn't inflame your gut, it doesn't mess up your stool or your digestion, then there's nothing wrong with them. And you can lose lots of weight on carbohydrates. You can gain weight on carbohydrates. That is not the thing that's most important when it comes to losing or gaining. Your caloric intake, there's a hierarchy to these things. And calories in, calories out, although I don't like that as a the message is the fitness people present all the time. It's science. It's the law of thermodynamics. If your calories are reduced, you technically could eat all carbohydrates and lose weight if you're in a calorie deficit. Uh, do I, would I recommend that? Probably not for a lot of people. But it really depends on the individual and how those, those specific carbohydrates affect you. If they negatively affect you, then you might do better on a ketogenic type of diet. But if it's not sustainable – then that, none of that shit matters. Like I, I, we've done all, like we would do diets like that on the show and then we would talk about them. I remember when I did the ketogenic diet, I felt amazing from it. My uh, inflammation was down. Digestion felt amazing. I was losing body fat. I felt lean. You know why I, I don't recommend it? Why I don't do it? Fuck, it's not sustainable. Eating avocados and steak every day and that's all your choice. I mean, you really have like a handful of things to choose from. Like, it's not a way I want to live for the rest of my life. Did I feel better? All those, yeah, that checked all the boxes, but sustainability did not check. Mm. And so you have to take that into consideration when you make these decisions to follow a, a diet protocol. All those things are fucking made up. None of that stuff is, they're all made up things that, are, that we're trying to categorize and fit all of us in a box. What really matters is, is this something that makes you feel better, perform better? If you want to look better and that's your goal, that's fine too. And is it sustainable for the rest of your life? If it's not sustainable for the rest of your life, I don't get a, give a shit how it makes you look or what it makes you do. It's probably not an ideal diet to build everything around. But if it's very sustainable for you and you love doing it and you feel great doing it, you're probably heading down the right path. And so those are all the things you got to ask yourself when you do those things. And you got to be careful not to get caught up with all the, all the fitness gurus telling you the latest science and research on what's so great for you. Well, none of it's great for you if you don't do it forever. If you just do it for a little while, it don't mean shit. So finding something that's sustainable is as important to, you know, how high the carbs are or not. So it's, it's about how it makes you feel and can you do this realistically long-term. That's a great way to finish, you know, is it sustainable for the rest of your life, right? That just kind of summarizes, you know, a lot of the stuff we were talking about. So, mate, um, quick question from me now. Uh, really just wanted to ask you about being a father quickly. This is definitely the last question, mate. Um, in terms of, you know, have, being a father, running a business, and, you know, you, like you said, Max is two years old now. I know you said your partner, right? You know, it sounds like having the right partner is key, like you said at the start. How yeah. do you manage? I mean, I can see, I'm sure everyone knows you've done a few practices before coming on ad as well. Or you've got the resistance band there, right? Where you've got a little pump on before. I can see that, yeah. mate. Right, <laughs> I know he's been doing push-ups before him, but anyway, <laughs> that's a sal move. That's not me. That's a sal move right there. I haven't trained since yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> sure, no, no, I believe you. No, mate. So, how do you manage, man? How do you manage to like really, you know, stay in shape and keep on top of things with a two-year-old? I know your partner yeah. plays a big part in it. As, well, marry the right person. That's the first. That's the first thing for sure. So, I think that's everything. I think. uh and what I mean by that, aside from her being amazing and supportive and carrying the heavy load, um, we, we both value uh, exercise and health um, because we know that that's, that's a big part of the foundation of our relationship is that, is that it, we, we both want to stay healthy and fit. And so if, 
if and I, she knows for we've been together for 11 going on 12 years now so Katrina has seen me at my best she's seen me at my worst and everything in between and like I said earlier in this conversation about learning to teach clients to connect the dots to all the other things that being healthy and fit does for your life it has nothing to do with me looking good at all and or her looking good we just know we're better fucking humans when we eat well and we train and exercise we're nicer to each other we're better parents we're more productive and once you make the connection all those things you just prioritize that and i get the and and, and here's and you also have to be uh empathetic with yourself too like do i do i try and train uh the same way i was training when i was getting ready to get on stage as i do as a father like fuck no like that would be the most selfish thing in the world to do. Like my, my, the time with my son and my wife right now is far more valuable than an extra hour in the gym. I can maintain the physique that I have right now, training two to three days a week, one hour at a time. That is it. That's all I'm doing right now. And that's a, that's a pretty good week. Sometimes it might only be once or twice. As long as I don't eat like an asshole when I train only once, I, I can maintain a, a pretty relatively fit, decent, better than average dad bod going on right now. And to me, that is so far more important than anything else. So I think sometimes if I'm talking to a fitness professional, the mistake they make is they're so obsessed with the way they look and training. And then also they become a father and they're like, Oh my God, how do you balance this? Well, motherfucker, stop going to the gym seven days a week. You don't need to be a better father. Spend more time with your wife, spend more time with your kid. Like you don't, you don't need to be in the gym to be healthy be healthy all i need is two three hours tops and i mean really healthy like and vein popping out of your bicep healthy i don't need it like that's two three times a week and just eating good like that's all that is you don't need that much and so and to, for her to give me two or three hours we have a gym inside of our garage now uh, or i come here in the in the morning time with the guys and we train as long as i prioritize that and sometimes i'm busy like today i didn't get the chance to chain train i did yesterday I'm not going to worry about it. I wanted to train today. I was supposed to train my legs today. I'll do it tomorrow. I, when I get home right now, I'll get home and still be able to spend time with my son, get a chance to read to him before he goes to bed. I could sacrifice that and go work out and stay consistent with my training. Why? Why miss out on that? I would never, I would never, I would never give a training session for a time with him like that. And so I make sure I prioritize two to three times a week, which I think is not a lot to ask for 99.9. Not a lot of people are more busy than I am, I promise you, okay, with everything I got on my plate. You can find two to three hours a week somewhere in your schedule, especially if you have a good partner to get your back, and that's all it takes to do that. And I think the mistake that a lot of fitness professionals and fitness fanatics make when they have a child or get married or have kids is, their priorities are out of whack. They're still driven by their insecurities to look a certain way. And I'm, that's not where I'm at in my life. Like I'm very confident with who I am, how I look and, and health really isn't that like true health is there's relationship health, spiritual health, mental health, uh, all those things are encompass that and aesthetics and the, are, are the way our meat wagon looks. That's just one small little aspect of it. And as long as I don't eat like an asshole, when I'm not training super consistently like that, I can maintain a pretty healthy, good-looking, aesthetic physique. And as a dad, that's kind of where I want to be. I mean, yeah, I get in little, I get little kicks where I get a little four or five days in that week, and maybe he sleeps perfectly through the night, and everything goes accordingly. And so maybe I make a make a little a little edge. You know, I look a little bit better. 
this next week because of that. But that's not, that's not my driving focus. My driving focus is be healthy. Can I squat down and play with my son? Can we, will I be able to shoot basketball with him when he's 12, 13 years old and keep up with him as a, as a 45, 50 year old dad and stuff like that. That's all that matters to me. Like I don't got, I'm not competing with the guy who got on stage and, you know, won trophies or on the cover of books and shit. I don't care about that anymore. You know what I'm saying? That was all to build this business, you know, like as long as I can stay healthy and fit. And I think that's, you, you have to have the right me mentality and, and mindset. And I think a lot of people, especially in our space, we're still driven by our insecurities. That's what got us into fitness was, Oh, I, I don't look a certain way and I want to look this way. And uh, you know, it's not, yeah, yeah, that's not it. That's what I talked about before. Actually. Yeah. People don't realize that, that most trainers, right. have got into this from a place of pain and insecurities. Right. I actually talked to my clients about that recently. So mate, I, like you just said, then I know how valuable your time is and really, really appreciate your time. I was going to take everyone off mute and get everyone to say thank you at the same time. But every time I do that, I just butcher it. So I'm not going to try it, mate. You know, I'm not going to try it. But everyone just show Adam some love in the chat box. Uh, just obviously, you know. And if you want to type in your biggest takeaway as well, that's totally fine. And yeah, one more thing, Ad. I was going to see if uh, Hannah, Hannah, who's on the line, she's, uh, she's a bit obsessed with Sal. So is there any chance you could get uh, Sal's number for her? <laughs> <laughs> Did you she asked me to uh, ask you. <laughs> <laughs> did you did you see what uh, I totally should give it to her for that? Did you see what um, Kevin Hart did with uh, Nick Cannon? Did you see the the pranks they did? I on heard each you other? talk about, oh. but no, I didn't see it. What, oh what happened? God. So, so Kevin Hart, everyone should know that. Yeah, yeah, media, yeah. Right? I love Kevin Hart. He's good friends with good friends with Nick Cannon. For his birthday, Nick Cannon sent him a llama. So a llama shows up on his on his front yard, and that was his birthday gift. And so Kevin Hart, his way of getting back at him. He paid for like four different billboards in some of the biggest cities that had uh, Nick Cannon's cell phone number on it. So <laughs> <laughs> that's quality. Can you imagine how many yeah, people yeah, saw so that as well? That's <laughs> you just made you just made me think of that by by giving out Sal's cell phone number. Yeah, so mate, that's a great that's answer. that's a great idea, man. I reckon you should do that. You know, you got you got a great audience now. Just pump it out on social media, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You you know he's pissed me off really bad if I do that one day. So if I, just, if I put him out on like that, so that's I'm sure I'm sure his wife would be I'm sure his wife would be happy about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, thanks a lot, Ad. Thanks again, mate. Everyone's saying that that was awesome, yeah. and there's loads hey, of fun. Loads of fans there as well, mate. So, you know, we're over the moon. Thanks a lot for your time, mate. Really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. You guys have a good one. Enjoy the rest of your evening.